wife was studying the grizzly. But that was that was their passion, and they both had a dream that someday they could come to the U.S. and go uh, go out to Yellowstone National Park uh, and study grizzlies there. But obviously, they were having trouble with their respective governments and, and trouble with the U.S. giving them permission. And finally, the the Russian and the Czech both received permission to go to the U.S. They arrived at Yellowstone, checked in with the park rangers, and and to their discouraged with the park ranger said hey this is not a good time it's right in the middle of mating season it's just too dangerous for you to go out in the wild and study the grizzlies and of course you know they they, they pleaded their case hey we've we've dreamt of this our whole life we've wanted to do this it's you know this is our only chance so the park rangers finally relented and said okay you can go out but but they gave them cell phones and said, we want you to check in a couple times every day to let us know you're okay and so they headed out into the wild and and for the first four or five days, everything went well. Twice a day, they'd call in, hey, we're fine, we're having a good time. We, we've, we found a, a male and a female bear that we were studying, and it was just going great. And then the next day, silence. They didn't receive a phone call. Uh, they, they got a little concerned, but they thought maybe they just uh, lost track of time. And But then the next day, same thing. And then the third day, they they hadn't heard a word from these scientists, so they they end up putting together a group of guys to go out and see if they could find them. And they, they came to their camp, and their camp was just ransacked. I mean, it, you could tell that the bears had entered the camp. I mean, stuff was torn up. You saw some ripped clothes, and they they feared for the worst, and they began to track these two bears, this male and female. And They came upon the female bear, and they debated, like, what, what do we do? But they didn't want to create a international incident, so they thought, you know, we have to know what happened. So they shot the female bear, and, and, and then they're like, well, we, this is not going to be comfortable. But they opened the bear up, and sure enough, the Russian scientist had been eaten by the bear. The, the park ranger then said to the, the other park ranger, well, you know what this means, don't you? The check's in the mail. <laughs> you guys thought it was going somewhere with that, didn't you? <laughs> uh, shortly after President Lincoln was assassinated, in Washington, D.C., the historians were going through his stuff, and they, they took out his wallet. And in his wallet, tucked, tucked kind of in a back, a back corner of that wallet, they found uh, a newspaper clipping, and they, they pulled that clipping out. And it was obviously had, had, was well-worn and, and obviously had been taken, op- been taken out and opened several times. The, the, the corners uh, where it was creased were falling apart, and it was weathered. And, and, and so they took it out and read what this little clipping said, and it simply was a clipping from a, a newspaper reporter who had suggested that someday President Lincoln would be seen as a great president. What they deduced from that, what they assumed from that, is that, that President, uh, did I say Clinton? I thought I said something wrong. Well, did I say President Clinton? They, they assumed that President Lincoln, uh, more times than once, several times, would, would when he was discouraged. Maybe when, when news came from the front that the war wasn't going well, uh, one defeat after another, or, or when he received words that people, uh, from, from family members who had lost loved ones and it just tore his heart and, and just the weight of the whole process of what he was going through. When he would read other articles that, that called him a buffoon and said his presidency was, was destined to fail. And when they made fun of his Gettysburg address, which we look at now and realize was one of the greatest addresses of all time, but, but they made fun of it because it was short and, and, and simple, and, and and they assumed that when those moments came, when he needed a word of encouragement, he would pull out that 
that little piece of paper and read that article from that unknown uh, uh, journalist where it said he was going to be something. We, we often find ourselves in need of a gift of encouragement. The gift of encouragement. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to uh, challenge you to turn to, to um, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. We're, we're going to look at, uh, at this idea of the gift of encouragement and we're going to look at it from two angles. Number one, we'll see what God has done for us. That's an obvious thing here. But then we're also going to see where we can then turn around and make that, that gift that we've received something that we can also hand out and that we can give to someone else. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read just a couple verses there. Kind of some really cool verses in the scripture there. Verse 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold, and I love this word, unswervingly, I think he made that up, but uh, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for we, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some in their habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day uh, approaching. This scripture gives unique insight uh, into the gift of encouragement here's like i said just gonna look at two simple ideas two simple points here's the first one we receive encouragement when when you read this passage when you read this passage you you really should be encouraged by it when you understand what paul let me just throw this out there some people believe that paul wrote the book of hebrews it's one of those books in the new testament that we're not 100 percent sure but i will say this morning paul just for uh for ease sake when, when paul wrote this book to to those that were going to hear it, it provided them with a great amount of encouragement and it should do the same for us. And here's the first point. We have confidence. Notice what verse 19 says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. I, I would dare say this morning, you may not realize, realize this or not, but I dare say this morning that we could divide our church into two groups. There's a group of you here this morning I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything, but there's a group of us here this morning that that have no struggle whatsoever in approaching God with confidence. It, it's something that comes natural to you. It's just since you've been a believer, since you've come to know Christ as your Savior, it's just it's just something you're confident. You just know, hey, I, I can come to God, and God's going to hear me. God's going to listen to me. I have utter confidence when I come to God. Some you can tell that the way some of you pray and the way some of you talk about your relationship with the Lord, you just you're just totally confident when it comes to coming to the Lord. But there's a second group of people here this morning. The the truth is if you're in that first group, you probably have a hard time understanding the second group. And I would guess even that that some of you might think there there is a second group. I thought we all were in the same boat, but but the reality is there's a second group of people here this morning. Uh, you, you know who you are. In fact, they may be sitting next to you. They may be in the pew with you. They might be in the pew in front or, or behind you. They're, 
there are a group of us here this morning. Now we may look just like you, and it may we may say the right stuff all the time, and we may look like we've got it all together. But but there's a group of us here this morning that that when we come to God, there's not that confidence. In other words, when we when we call out on the name of, of God, we're not sure is He really gonna is He really going to hear me? Does God really care? Uh, there's a group here this morning that. When you feel so close to God, they might feel separated from God. And, and the idea of, of somehow spanning that gap between them and God is a hard concept for them to understand. And if you're in that group, if you're in that first group, just hang on. You know, this, this will apply to us as well, or it'll apply to you as well. But, but if you're in that second group, then this, section these verses were written to you the, the fact that the fact is that as paul penned this he was writing to a group of believers jewish christians who probably felt more like group number 2 who you know they knew who god was and they believed god and they had faith but but they had been taught from the time they were small as jewish uh, b- believers growing up and then becoming a, a follower of christ they had been taught that there was a gap between them and God. In fact, there, there was no way to really bridge that gap. The only way to get to God was for one person, and that was the high priest. That was the only person that got to really go in the very presence uh, of God. But notice, notice what he says there, verse 19 again, if you have your Bible. Since we have confidence, and, and confidence to what? First of all, we have confidence to enter. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. See, the, the blood of Christ made it available to us to enter into a, a relationship with, with Christ. Now, this may, not, this may not mean a lot to you, but if you understand kind of the, the historic uh, background of the Jew, and, and particularly the Jewish Christian, uh, the only one who, who went into the presence of God was the high priest, and that was... Only one time a year when he made the offering, the, the, the Day of Atonement, when he took the blood into the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. And, and he'd go in there, and in the Holy of Holies was the, the presence of God. Not like God was nowhere else, but, but that represented God's presence. And he was allowed to go in there, and only, only him. And there was a, a, a curtain that separated the holy place, and you couldn't even go to the holy place. Only the priests could go there. There was a curtain that slept, separated the holy place from the most holy, the holy of holies. Does, does anyone remember what happened to that curtain when Christ died on the cross? It ripped top to bottom. Uh, Mark chapter chapter 15, I believe it's verse 38, tells us that. It was symbolic that the curtain that once was separating us from God's presence was, was ripped. And and so this would have blown this would have blown their mind as they read this we can enter into the holy place but not just that we can enter into the most holy place the holy of holies this idea that through the blood of Christ and that's what he talks about a lot in in the book of Hebrews through the blood of Christ the sacrifice Jesus gave the the sinless perfect high priest as Jesus went to the cross we now can enter into God's presence. That was big. And, and so let me encourage you with this word. This is, this is meant to be encouraging to us. 
If you're in group number two, and you have doubts that God really wants you near Him, you have doubts that God hears you, you have doubts that God cares about you, this verse, verse wipes that all away because the curtain was ripped and we now have, through the blood of Christ, through what He did, we can enter into His presence. You don't have to be a high priest that's gone through a, a, a ritual of purification and have all the right clothes on and done all the right things. You know, every one of us can enter into the presence of God. Wow, that that is encouraging. And if you're group number one and you already have confidence, well, let, let this just bolster that confidence that you can can go there. Now, as excited as as these Jewish Christians must have been, and as excited as group number two are, or you should be this morning, here I'm afraid is what happened to them a little bit. Paul said, hey, you can enter into the holy place, the most holy place. Wow, that's excited. And and I imagine they must have thought, wow, we can go there. And then, and then they thought this thought. Uh, I, I bet it's one that you have as well. This is what came to their minds. It, what's, it's what comes to my mind. Oh, yeah. But whose presence am I going into? I'm going into God's. And he knows. You, you may not know. You, you may not know, but God knows. He, he knows what I did. And He knows what I said. God knows what I thought. God knows the things I didn't do. that I sh- The times I should have stood up and I, I didn't do. And, and so I start to go into the presence and, and the thought is hitting me, oh no. God, you, you know. And, and you look at your past, you look at your doubt, you look at your struggles, and say, oh, God knows that. He knows where I've been. But, but let me point out a, a, a second encouragement because Paul takes it a step further here. Uh, again, look, look with me there in chapter uh, 10. Look at verse 21 and the first part of 22. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Not only are we to, not only are we allowed to enter in the holy place, but he says there, he takes it a whole step further. We're to draw near to God. Let, let me illustrate this way. I, growing up, probably like a lot of you, I had two grandfathers. Uh, my, Grandpa Champ, my dad's dad, had died before I was born, so I never knew him. But my grandma had, uh, uh, Granny had had remarried, um, and and so I I remember just a little bit my grandpa Poorman. He was my step grandpa. He actually died when I was fairly young, uh, as well. But but I remember my grandpa Poorman, and I'll be honest, my 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 real memory of him, just a couple of them, but the one that's kind of overriding, is that he wasn't a very happy man. Now, I don't remember him screaming and yelling, but I remember when we'd go over to Granny Poorman's house and we'd walk in, there was the distinct sense that you could come in, but he didn't really want you there. And when our family gets together, when I'm with my siblings and we talk about old times, we all say the same thing except my sister. My sister Cindy sucked up to him somehow, and he liked her, but he didn't like the rest of us at all. In fact, when he married my Granny Poorman, he ended up with, I don't know, what's about 18 or 20 step-grandchildren. 
And I don't think he liked any of us except my sister Cindy. And so we walked in, we walked in, and and we were allowed in the house. It's not like he locked the door, but you walked in, you kind of just stood. If Dad was there, I'd stand behind Dad. I would kind of sneak past Grandpa Poorman into the kitchen where my granny was. And, and so we were allowed in, but boy, don't go anywhere near him. Let me contrast that with my Grandpa Hartman, my mom's dad. My Grandpa Hartman, we'd go out there every other Sunday uh, for, for Sunday dinner. And when we, when we got there after church, my grandpa would always be sitting in his recliner, uh, right there by the fireplace. Wintertime, the fire would be, be roaring. And, and, and as soon as, particularly when we were little, now once we got to in high school, we didn't do this quite as much, but, but when we were little, we would all run in and over to his recliner and up on his lap. And I can remember, it's, it's a, a memory that I treasure. Now, I didn't do this, but my sisters would jump on his lap, and my grandfather had, even when he died in his 70s, he had a full head of hair. Now, aren't you supposed to get your hair from your mother's side? I've always heard that. Man, I got ripped off because Grandpa had a lovely head of hair. And and he kept it combed back. And But it was long. And my kids would, Bruce, what are you doing sitting here? You know better. My kid, not my kids. My, my sisters would, would go up to Grandpa and, and they would, they would do that and rub his hair and his hair would be, it would go all the way down. He's going to sit over there next time. It'd go all the way down, all the way down to his chin and his hair would all be messed up. He had a candy dish and we would, we would all raid that candy dish and, and my grandpa and I, I've talked to him before, walked with the cane so his cane would be laying by his, his recliner. And we would run in and fight over who got to pick up the cane first. And, and so we would walk around, you know, when we were little, you'd have to almost jump and use it as a, as a pole vault. But we'd, we'd play with that. We just, when we got to their house, we didn't stay on the edges. We weren't on the margin. And we were in his lap. We were all over him. Uh, can you throw that picture up real quick? Some of you are going to recognize this, this picture when it comes up. Yeah. Hey, this is an iconic picture. Some of you are like, who is that? That is the president, former president uh, Kennedy. If you see there in the front, in the Resolute desk, some of you know the Resolute desk from a couple movies, but the, in the Resolute desk is his son, John Jr., one of the most iconic pictures of all time. I don't know that I'll ever get to go to the White House. Ch- chances are, are are thin. But but if I do, I, I, I would imagine that I would be ushered in and someone would say, stand there. And that's where I would stand. I wouldn't go anywhere near. But, but what does this picture represent? Now, I'm not trying to say, say God's like JFK or, or we're like little kids playing at God's dinner. But, but do you notice in the office of the most powerful man in the world, his child was welcome to play under his feet in the desk? Isn't that a little bit of what he's trying to get us to understand here when he says you don't just enter in, but you can draw near. You can draw near. Now 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 we're excited that we can that that we can have confidence, but but we also have to come before him with a clear conscience. Because as we as we get excited about drawing in, as I mentioned before that, that question comes up, well, God, you know what I've done. You know what I've, what I've said. But notice how he addresses that. Verse 22, 
Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. To cleanse us. What encouragement to know that that God, through the work of His Son Jesus on the cross, went there to cleanse us of a guilty conscience. I, I mentioned this a, a couple times before. A few years ago, I, I took a, a, a class, a, a training class called uh, Clinical Pastoral Education at Mosaic. They offer the class to, to pastors, uh, and in exchange for basically getting the class for almost free, you have to do some, some, uh, uh, some overnight duties as chaplain. So, so six or seven times during that, that, that time I was there, I would be the chaplain at Mosaic overnight, and I remember one particular night I was called. I was called by a nurse on one of the floors, and she said, "I've got a patient here, that, and it was about ten o'clock at night. I have a patient here that that says he wants to talk to a chaplain." And so I headed up to the floor, walked in the room, asked the nurse, "Hey, just can you tell me anything? You know, what what am I walking into?" And she she just said, "I don't know. He's, he's kind of struggling." So I walked in, and 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 I introduced myself, and he introduced him, and for a little while we just chit chatted. You know, we kind of talked about what was going on, and and uh, somewhere I asked him, you know, why he was in the hospital, and he he told me he was dying, he had cancer, and didn't look good, and and we just chit chatted for a while, and then I realized, you know, that's not why he he call, he didn't call me to just because he needs someone to talk. I, I've had those happen at times where I'd be called in just for that, but but I knew there was something deeper, and and so so I asked him. I said, well, so what can I do for you? What why'd you have me come up here tonight? Before he could even start talking, the tears already started streaming down his face. And he began to talk about regrets. He said, I have so many regrets. And, and I sat and listened to him as he told, told me about a couple failed marriages. And I sat and listened to him as he talked about relationships with his children, adult children that had gone awry, that, 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 that had soured. And, and he talked to me about other mistakes, some, some of them big that he had made in his life. And, and he just said, Said I have so many regrets. I, I am riddled by guilt. As I talked to him, we found out that he was a believer. That he said anyway that he knew Jesus as his Savior, and and so I began to talk to him. Do you know what, what what Jesus did? Do you know that he went to the cross, to to take care of that. You may still have regrets. You may still look back, man. I wish I hadn't have done that. But your guilt has been taken by the blood of Christ. What an encouragement to know that, that Jesus went to the cross, tore the curtain down, allowing us to enter, not just enter, but draw close to God so that our consciousness can be cleared. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter how often you've failed God or failed other people, you can have a clean conscience before God if you repent of that sin. And, and finally, we're, we're called, not only here, we're, we're called to do something. Notice as he goes on there in verse 23, let us hold unswervingly, I love that, to the hope that profess. In, in Greek, there's a couple, two or three different ways that you could um, interpret that or, or, or write it. Unswervingly is what they, they chose to do here in the NIV, uh, without wavering. And it even has the idea of without bending has the idea of holding on. So, so the truth is we are called, because we have encouragement to with Him, we're called to hold on to our faith. 
grab hold of that and know that you have encouragement uh, because of that. So, so we receive encouragement. We see that in the first couple verses there. But we're also called then to offer encouragement. Do, do you realize that every time we receive something from God, every time we, we reap a benefit because of our relationship with God, because we know Jesus, there, there's something that we end up getting out of that. Now, I don't mean that in a selfish way, but, but when God, when God uh, cares for us, when we're in relationship with Him, we just reap benefits. Uh, this encouragement is what we have. But every time we get something from God that, that we are then commanded or called or motivated or moved or, or driven, it's the natural result. It should be the natural result then for us to offer the very same thing to others. Let me, let me illustrate it. We, we know the scriptures well. Uh, Scripture tells us that God loves us, doesn't it? John 3.16, you all memorized that when you were, were little kids. For God so loved the world. God, God loves us, doesn't He? First uh, John 3.16 says this, for this is, uh, this is how we know what love is. What is love? Jesus laid down His life for us. So we know that, we know that God loves us. Well, what's supposed to happen because God loved us? We're supposed to love others. Uh, John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. 1 John 3, 16. It's the second half of that verse I just read. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And doesn't Jesus even talk a little bit more about that? Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44. He says, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus ratchets it up a little bit. He says, I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those uh, who persecute you. So, so God loves us. God gives us love. That's what we receive. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love. It's our theme this year. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Uh, how about forgiveness? Matthew, or, or Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for what? Forgiveness of your sins. Ephesians 1.7 in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. First John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all uh, all unrighteousness. Well well, if we receive forgiveness, what are we supposed to offer? Forgiveness. Matthew six fourteen. Uh, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Matthew eighteen, twenty one and twenty two. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or some, some verses read 70 times seven. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God, in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Do you see where I'm going here? If we receive encouragement, if knowing that that we have access to to God, uh, that we can enter into the holy place and and not just there, we can draw near to God. If if we have encouragement through that, knowing that He cleanses us of all of our sin and cleanses us of our guilt and and gives us a clean conscience, if we know all of that, then what are we called to do? Where does that hit us? We are called then to to offer 
encouragement. We're, we're going to see in this passage, the, in verses 24 and 25, three times he says, let us, let us. Look at verse 24. And let us consider. Let us consider. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The, the Greek word there for spur uh, has a couple ideas. And sometimes this, this word was actually used in a negative context. It has the idea of provoking. Uh, some, sometimes you can provoke someone. A, 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 a brother and sister can provoke one another to anger and, and sometimes even violence. It has an idea of provoking. It has that idea of stirring up. It has the idea of stimulating. We are called then to provoke one another in a positive way, to stir one another, to stimulate one another to what? To good works. We are called to encourage each other to be what God has called us to be. I I hear people all the time lament the fact that they have nothing to offer. We, we talked about this in Nick's Sunday School class this morning. We're called to serve, but sometimes we're like, well, what, what can I do? I, I can't... Uh, isn't he a cute baby? Everyone turn to look at Rita as she goes by. <laughs> he almost, usually I put people to sleep, but he wouldn't go to sleep for a doggone it. But, uh, now where was I? <laughs> people all the time say, yeah, I, I can't, I can't sing, man. If I could play the drums like, uh, or guitar like Johnny and the uh, drums like, hey, oh, if I could, if I could, man, if I could sing like silence, if I had that ability, if I could get on that, that bass guitar and, 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 and strum away like, boy, like Bruce does, but that would be great. I can't do that, so what can I do? And I, I mean, I'd love to teach a Sunday school class, but man, I'd be scared to death. People looking at me and asking, you expect me to give them some knowledge? I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't preach. I couldn't lead. I, oftentimes we're like, man, I don't have anything to offer. Number one, you do, so uh, get over yourself. You really do have stuff to offer. But if nothing else, if there's nothing else you can do, can't you encourage someone? He says, let us consider. Uh, it, it will take, though, if, if we're going to do that, it will take planning. Some, some people have a gift of encouragement. My friend Kelly, Kelly Kennedy, has the gift of encouragement. I, I love to hang with Kelly because when I see him, uh, I'm going to see him actually next Sunday afternoon. I, when I, when I go up, Kelly's going to say something. My brother Tim, hey, it's good to see you. Man, I have missed you. We, we really love you. And I know that's what he's going to say. Cause that's what he says every time I see him. I love to hang with, with my brother Kelly. This, this week, Rita called and said, hey, you got something in the mail from Kelly. I said, what did I get? He said, she said, it's just some kind of sticker. And, and this is what he sent. Let me get it right. Does any, does anyone know what that is? You can't see it. it's a little blue. There's a little red cross in there. Anyone? Come on, surely someone's got to know what that represents. The, the, some of those are like that, yeah? If you see this on a car, in fact, this, this is what happened, this is why he sent me this. Kelly bought a new car, well, it's a used car, here a while back, and first time I saw it is a little, little Toyota Camry, and I, we were looking at it, and I, I saw one of these on the back of his car. I said, hey, Kelly. Cool, the guy that owned that car before you was a preacher. This is a clergy sticker, basically. You see that on a card that it represents clergy. Now, it represents other stuff too, but but that's kind of a, uh, you didn't know that, that's kind of a, a universal symbol for, for clergy. I said, Kelly, the guy that owned your car was 
it was clear. He said, well, how did you know that? I said, well, look at that sticker. He's like, I put that on there. <laughs> I said, Kelly, that's a clergy sticker. I didn't know that. I just liked the cross. I thought that's cool. <laughs> so, so, so he, he saw one of these and thought of me and sent me the, this. I mean, that is his gift to encourage. For most of the rest of us, it's not. So, some of you have that gift. I, you do. But most of us, you, you know what? For most of us, it's going to take some planning. We're going to have to decide that the very least we can give is encouragement. The very least we can do is try to spur someone on, stir them up, and 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 move them and encourage them in some way. What what would happen? What would happen in our church? What would happen in not just Troy, but in our church nationwide and worldwide? What if we what if we took this serious? Because God has encouraged me. I want to encourage, and we decided that we're going to spur people on to encouragement. Man, that would that would turn us upside down. If we decided, but but the reality is, it, it takes planning. Uh, it, it takes a plan. It also takes purpose. Notice what he says uh, uh, that that we should spur one another, and actually, they spur one another onto good deeds. That 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 we can encourage one another, but but also let's spur to to good stuff. One of the best ways I know how to do that, guys. One of the best ways I know how to spur someone on. Someone else on the good deeds is to do them myself. Because if I'm doing the good deed and then I go up to you and try to stir you up, boy, it's got a whole lot more power to it if I do that. So, so what can I do? Well, have a heart and have an attitude of, of service. Notice what he says in verse 25. It's kind of the second thing there. He says, let us not give up meeting together as some of the habit are doing. In other words, we need to congregate. Maybe you don't realize this. But sometimes just your very presence can be an encouragement. Sometimes just your very presence in, in, in a seat can encourage someone. Your presence in a Sunday school class can, can breathe life into a Sunday school teacher. Or, or maybe your presence there will, will breathe life into someone that's sitting there beside you. And, and maybe you won't say a word. Maybe, maybe you won't do anything, but just the fact that you're there. Do you realize do you realize the power, the power that can be ours when we just congregate? That's what he says. Don't, don't give up meeting together because there's great encouragement there. The, the truth is there are people here, there are people here that, that your very presence provides encouragement. I, I love, I didn't get a chance to talk to her yesterday. I love running into Malia on Sunday mornings because I can, I can almost guarantee she's going to give me grief over something. Um, you know, if K-State beat KU in football, and if they happen to beat them in basketball, I can guarantee that Malie uh, is going to tell me. If they almost win, but but Speed walks about seven feet before he shoots the winning bucket, I know that Malie's going to... Man, I, lo- I look forward to her, because that's I mentioned last week, that's my love language, kidding and, and sarcasm. So I love that. Man, that encourages me. You know, I, I love my brother Jason. You know what I like about Jason? Jason, you, you know, have you ever been hugged by Jason? I mean, he about knocked you off your feet when he hugs you. And, and a lot of times going out, we did this handshake, so, you know, sometimes just a handshake, but sometimes it's a handshake and then it's a bear hug. That's not a really uh, hug, it's a bear hug. Grizzly bear hug, by the way. He, I, I love that. What an encouragement that is. You know, I, I appreciate my brother Craig because 
Most Sundays. He didn't do it today. I was like, man, I hope he does it, but he didn't. Most Sundays when I see Brother Craig, when he walks in, uh, he'll, he'll say something to me like, hey, how are you doing? You know, that's simple, but, but he really means it. And wow. So let us congregate. You know, the, the very fact that we congregate together can give us encouragement. And, and finally, let us, let us call out. That's, that's what he really says there in that last part. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us encourage one another. My, uh, my grandma Hartman, I mentioned my grandpa earlier, my grandma Hartman had a little organ in her, uh, uh, in her living room. And it was just one of these little cheap ones and, and she had a couple songbooks and I, I can't remember exactly how it was, but you could, you could look at the songbooks and I don't know if it had, if there were numbers on the keys or something, but, but you could actually look at that song, songbook and someone like me who didn't play at all could, could hit the notes and make a song, you know, just a note at a time. But, but we would, we would sit there after we'd stole grandpa's candy and stuff, we, we'd sometimes would find ourselves at grandma's organ, uh, playing songs. And one of the songs I remember playing all the time at her, um, her little organ was Home on the Range. Remember how that goes? Home, home on the range, where the deer and the antelope play. What a beautiful song. Where never is heard a discouraging word. And what's that last line? And the skies are not cloudy all day. What a beautiful. How many of you guys have been deer hunting this week? I mean, trying to shoot those deer and maybe not antelope around here, but they're just out there playing and there's no discouragement. Actually, that song is a bunch of bunk. You know, wow, wow, it wouldn't it be great, but wouldn't it be great if it were true? We could just, there's never a discouraging word. The, the reality is we live in the real world and don't we live in a world that oftentimes is discouraging? Don't we live in a world that oftentimes beats us down? And don't we live in a world oftentimes that just cuts us at the knees? And, and let's be honest, sometimes even in our faith, and even the church, we sometimes find ourselves there. And we are called because we have encouragement. Because, because of what Jesus did. He went to the cross and shed his blood to, blood to rip the curtain so we can enter in the holy. But not just enter, we can also draw near to God. Literally in the very presence of God. Why? Because we're, we're his children now. We, we go very, right, right to God because we have that encouragement that that he forgets our sin and remembers it no more, that we are to offer encouragement. And how powerful to know that there's someone here today that they're out on the range and there's no deer and antelope playing along and maybe their week has been full of nothing but discouraging words. Maybe it's just life hitting them discouraged, but, but maybe, it's, maybe it's a boss that's laid on to them. Maybe it's a family member that's given him grief or a neighbor, a loved one, or or who knows what, and you can offer them encouragement. We, we have a great power this morning to know that God encourages us with what he did, and we can then encourage others. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you this morning that, that you've empowered us to be your followers, that you've empowered us to lift up your name. Father, through the victory that you won on the cross, the the, the curtain was torn from bottom to top and it represented that we have access, not just, not just to step in and be quiet and stand in the shadows, but we have access directly to you. We can draw near to you and find strength and hope and encouragement there. Father, 
Let that encourage us this morning. And Father, let that spur us on then to encourage other people. Lord, give us an eye here this morning. Those of us that don't have that gift, Father, give us an eye to have a plan and a purpose to be encouragers. In Jesus' name, amen. What can I do? Well, maybe we're not going to ask you to sing a solo. Maybe we're not going to ask you to stand up and and preach a sermon. But you know what? We can't ask you to do. We can ask you to be encouraged. We can ask you to spur someone someone else on to good deeds. If you need to come this morning, would you so as we stand and sing?